Let us pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do indeed realize that it's only by your death and your resurrection that we have any opportunity to have atonement with the one and holy God. In this time we think of freedom in this country, July 4th, but we also realize that our freedom, our spiritual freedom, came at the cost of Jesus' own blood being shed. Be with us now in this time as your word goes out, and please work in us and through us that we can hear the word that you have for each of us today. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. I would be neglecting my duties if I didn't wish you all a happy Independence Day this July 4th holiday that's celebrated in our nation. But I've been checking with the fact checkers, and so I think there's a little background we need to work through for this, the Independence Day. Um, I did a quick little informal survey, so not as bold as Family Feud. I didn't get 100 people surveyed. But I did get a couple of people. I said, hey, July 4th. They said, it's the signing of the Declaration of Independence. If you check history, that's not actually the date. So there's, but I still say Happy Independence Day. I'm not going to be a spoiler. Um, but as a, and it, was, it was an interesting study as I prepared for today. You know, the, the war for independence actually had started the, the year before in 1775. Um, Lexington and Concord, I think we remember that, those two cities from our history. So there was a lot going on before July 4th of 1776. Some of the first states started saying, yes, we're going to vote for Independence Day. We need to leave this England thing alone because we got people somewhere else, somewhere far away, telling us what to do. Not quite unlike Washington, D.C. And we're overburdened with taxes. I mean, 1773 in Boston, they threw that stuff in the harbor and they had the first um, iced tea party. Still paying taxes here in um, 2021. But those were some of the beginnings of the, um, the fight for independence. And earlier in the year, 1776, again, this was already stirring. Some of the states already said, hey, we need to do something about this. And they actually put to a, a, together a committee of five on um, some names that you remember. Um, $20 Hamilton and $100 Ben Franklin. These guys are part of that committee of five that got together and drafted the Declaration of Independence. Um, Early July, it went through a couple of revisions because, you know, once they got that in front of the larger committee of representing all 13 colonies, we can't agree on anything. I thought, you know, we're, we're defining that we're leaving this old thing behind and we want to start a new thing, a new life together. But again, we, we can't get, it was enough getting these five guys to agree. Now you've got representatives from all 13 colonies trying to agree. And so it went on for a couple of days to kind of get through and get the Declaration of Independence prepared for, for signature. Um, but again, this is not a history lesson. This is church. So um, let's um, turn to the, the, one of the verses for reference today. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 20. And I uh, just wanted a little bit of background. We're actually going to tie in because we're talking about freedom and um, independence and a new life together. As our country forefathers embarked on a new life together, we as Christians have some instructions on our life together. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impunity. So why, why did Paul find a need to, to pen these verses? I think if we think of what was happening at that time, the word of God was going out with an open invitation to all the Gentile nations to say, hey, because Jesus shed his blood and died on Calvary and made atonement, as our brother Ken pointed out earlier, say, we all have an opportunity to now become members of the kingdom of heaven. We can all be part of God's family through Jesus' blood. And boy, you have a whole lot of people with a whole lot of different cultures and backstories trying to come together. And we just fast forward into the future vision. I think we have this um, verse from Revelation ready. John is having a vision into the future in heaven. So I'm just give you a sneak peek of how this all looks out. He said, I looked and behold a great multitude of every, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. So these are, oh, this is the crowd in heaven. Every tongue, every nation, it's, it's, it's just basically everybody. Everyone who took this free gift of salvation. And we're trying to bring all these people together into one family. So if any of you ever got married and joined a family and you met your spouse's family, you said, man, what am I getting myself into? But now imagine multiplying that by thousands. So many different cultures, people, nations, um, tongues, and habits. All sorts of habits. If we read through the Old Testament, we can see the habits of the nations. You know, Israel was told to stay away from these nations because they're, they're idol worshipers. You know, you have nations that have a different concept altogether of even who God is in the first place. Um, and so these, and how you worship God. There's verses talking about people, human sacrifice, they're passing the children through the fire. Um, and all sorts, there's all sorts of things. And so, this is very widespread. I mean, we even have evidence of it in, in, our, in our solar system. And who do we name the planets after? Mercury, the, the messenger. Venus, the goddess of love. Mars, the god of war. Neptune, the god of the ocean. And Jupiter, the, big, the biggest one, the daddy of all the gods. I mean, so this was prevalent, and this is part of people's upbringing. And this is normal. And we even have cultures today that are very multi-theistic with, with literally thousands and thousands of gods. We have, you know, all sorts of different detestable practices to the Lord. If we look at Genesis, God defined the family, a man and a woman. And you would have nations all around Israel with polygamy, people with multiple wives. Um, Solomon got caught up in that. I think he holds the Guinness Book of World Record for the number of wives. But again, this is, this is why Paul felt this is a need to send the message out. Because the Gentiles, all of us, we the people who are trying to become part of the family of God, have all sorts of habits and cultures. You know, so this is not a message for the, for the, for the Jews, the Hebrews, because they had all these lessons passed down to them, and they kind of knew where, what, what God was, was checking off on one column and the other, and they actually prided themselves in that, to the point that they forgot about love, and they were just working through this list. But again, this passage was not for them. It's more focused towards the Gentiles. And not to say that they're, they're any, you know, bad people any worse than anyone else. It's the, but the pastor does say sometimes in their ignorance, they just didn't know better. Um, and so, you know, God is not calling them out just because every thought of, every, of their heart is just purely evil. So sometimes these people are just ignorant. Um, and not ignorance in a bad way. Sometimes we say that and it's, you know, because that goes back to our original story. So... 
the Declaration of Independence was agreed upon. We agreed, hey, these are kind of our new rules and directions. And they finally agreed and stopped making changes on July 4th of 1776. So that's what the date is we celebrate. It's actually signed in August. And then, you know, John Hancock is like, he put a big signature on this, like, oh, yeah, I'm the man. But he wasn't even part of that committee of five. But when we see it, he's got that huge signature on there. So, again, that's why, you know, for no intents and purpose, no false intent. But if you ask somebody, hey, what's well, July 4th? And they say, well, it's a signing. It's like, well, don't go say they're ignorant. But I'm just using that to point out that the Gentiles would just be ignorant of these things about God. Just as we're not actually sure and we've got to fact check even one of our own critical documents for the founding of our nation. And so when the passage talks about the Gentiles lost in their ignorance, it's not, you know, it's not, they just didn't have anyone to teach them. And like, how would, how would they know? And I don't want you kids to go fact-checking your teachers when you get back to school and say, oh, that preacher said you're wrong when he tells us it was signed on July 4th because you're going to get your grand- grandparents and your parents in trouble. But again, it's, it's understanding that if no one teaches you the truth and you don't know, you're, you, you need to be taught. And so you're bringing all these Gentile nations into the family of God. And another, I think sometimes we have this um, concept that there's a line right through the middle of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And the Old Testament is God going all out for the children of Israel. You know, he's, he's the God of Israel. And okay, well now in the New Testament, he's, he's, changed, he's changed his ways. Now he's making a way for the Gentiles. But we actually have history in the Old Testament, where God's love went out to the Gentiles, and he opened their eyes. So he knew they were ignorant, but he sent someone, worked circumstances, so that even Gentiles in the Old Testament had a way to join God's family. Um, We think of Rahab, and we look at the situation she was in, the walls literally coming down, her world crashing down around her. But she and her family were in a safe place. And if you read um, those passages in Joshua about when the walls actually fell, it's that she and her family were safe, and she is a member of the nation of Israel to this day. So the time that was writing, Rahab was a member of, the, of, the, um, of, of Israel at that time. She was accepted and brought in. The, we, we all, I think we know the story of Ruth. You know, she was a foreigner, but she made a decision even though her mother-in-law tried to say, well, you don't have to come back. She, as a Gentile, said, no, I want to go back and be a part of this nation. And she was accepted, and she became part of the family line of, of King David um, when she was accepted and joined the family of Israel. So God has always made a way for the, ignorant of the, uh, the ignorance of the Gentiles to actually know him. He was known as the God of Israel. Again, all those countries had their separate gods. But when they went into battle, or when they heard a story, they said, oh, Israel, they have a very powerful God. We don't want to mess with it. Can we make peace with that? Oh, the God of Israel, he's on their side. He led them out of Egypt. And so the nations had a way of knowing about the God of Israel. So he made himself known even in the Old Testament. This was the whole story of Jonah. You know, the... Specific line, the last sentence, when God is talking to Jonah after the events at Nineveh, he said, you know, there's a, con- a city of 120,000 people who don't know they're left from their right. Now, I don't think that meant they had problems with their maps. I think it was translated colloquialism. We would say now, people don't know if they're coming or going. 
we would say they don't have a clue. So I think that's what God is saying there. It's like these people don't know. And if they don't know, you got to go tell them. And that's kind of where Jonah got mixed up. You know, he was a prophet. He signed on to preach the word of the true and living God. And God says, hey, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go to Nineveh and preach to these people because they are in sad shape, but I'm about to bring condemnation on that. And I think, Mo, I think Jonah had that problem with the left and the right. God is saying, like, go this way. And then Jonah's like, I'm going to go that way. But I think the whole, the whole point of that is, you know, when Jonah finally turned around and went in and preached to this nation, this, the city of Nineveh, they repented and they turned their ways and met, met and, you know, and honored and worshiped the one true God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, Jehovah. And so even in the Old Testament, God made a way for the Gentiles to hear his word and become part of, of his family, the family of God. The God of Israel would also become their God. One more verse we'd like to look at Hebrews, you know, 1, verse 1 and 2. You know, long ago, in a time in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Old Testament. But in these days, New Testament, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So I think that's the break between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not that the Old Testament is Israel's stories and the New Testament is, you know, God bringing it and opening the doors for the Gentiles. I think it's specifically the methods. You know, we had the prophets and those lessons in the, and those as, as teachers in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, G- Jesus himself training disciples, training all of us to be disciples and bring forward, bringing forward that message. Let's continue reading in in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, picking up at verse 20. Again, talking to those Gentile names. But that's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You know, as, as the author continues, it's okay, we're, what are we, we're leaving behind something, but what are we looking forward to? What are we supposed to be focused on in this new life together? It's an encouragement to really go all in, to kind of jump in with both feet. You know, I, I love the disciples. I love using them as an example because, well, f- for one thing, I think they're, they're just like us. There's passages where, I don't know if you can actually face plant in, the, in the, that part of the New Testament, but if you just look at how what Jesus, face palm, what Jesus just says is like, how many times do I have to explain this to you? And I feel that way sometimes because I, you know, I sometimes will read a passage or hear, hear or get into a, a situation is like, yeah, you know, I know that. I should know that, but I just, I just missed it. And sometimes it's like the disciples are like, they're there. They're walking with Jesus. They're talking with him every day. And they're seeing all the miracles. And then sometimes he still calls them out. and says, hey, you don't get it. But you know what they got? If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any account for the calling of the disciples, when he called them, they were busy at work. You know, the fishermen were out fishing. 
Um, the, the sons of thunder, you know, they had one brother had to go find his other brother and call him and say, hey, Jesus called us, let's go. He said, just leave what you're doing, come with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And, you know, they, they got up and they, and they went. And I think that's, that's how wholeheartedly Christ wants us to pursue the new life in Christ. Like, leave behind whatever you've got going on. If I call you, I want you to jump to it. If you fashion yourself as a minister of music and a singer, and I call you to preach, I just want you to jump and go for it. And even sometimes you're doing something good, but he's calling you to something better. Like John the Baptist had his own disciples, and they were following John, preparing the way for the Lord. You know? But when John saw Jesus, he told his disciple, hey, there's a Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. So you're following me, you're my disciples, you've you got to follow him now. But sometimes we get so caught up in whatever we're doing, and I'm not saying, you know, it's, it's something bad, it's evil. It's like it could be good stuff. But in this land, we get real busy with all the kids' activities and all the other things that you can volunteer and get involved in. You know, you've got deadlines at work. You've got weekends at work. You've got other things you've got to fit in. And sometimes it's all good stuff, you know, or seemingly good stuff. But what do we do when God calls us to do something better? It's like, oh, man, I can't fit another thing in my schedule. Like the disciples, they dropped the schedule. They might have had on their calendar dropped the fish off at the market at 10 o'clock, you know, but that's, that's all done. They dropped everything, and they're following Jesus. Sometimes he calls us to do that, and it's, it's, it's a challenge, but I think that's, that's specifically what he said. And that's why, again, I say I love the disciples, the way they approached that, and they just dropped whatever they were doing and followed. So these instructions are, um, you know, they're for, they're for the former Gentiles, who are now members of the kingdom of God. And it's an um, important message that I'd like to also include that we have this freedom that we've given because it's not a list of instructions that, that you know, Paul's putting in here. He's just saying, hey, you know, leave behind all those former ways. But if we bring up Galatians, it said leave behind all those former ways, but we're turning our eyes, we're turning our minds towards Christ because he set us up for holiness and righteousness. But he doesn't give an explicit list of everything that it is you're supposed to do because then I think you run into some of the problems the nation of Israel had before. Like they kind of check off this list and they're going through the motions, but when they meet Christ or when they're called to help their fellow brother or sister or lend a hand to their parents and say, hey, mom, dad, the money I was going to help you, I've, I've donated that to the church. I mean, how far can you get from love when, when Christ is saying, hey, this is... You are called to freedom, brothers, but not just to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He gave them two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your might and all your soul and love your brother as yourself. And in this passage here, when we talk about our freedom, our liberties in Christ, it's like it's not a freedom just to do whatever. It's, it's similar to what Jesus said when he asked that question. It's like, hey, through, through love, you serve one another. And so if you didn't know that before, it's like, well, he's, he's, tell, he's tell, telling you that now. So the point being that where does that love come from? It's like, can you just um, 
turn, turn it on. It's like, that's, that's not, our, not our culture. Our culture is so far away from that. It's like we're into power. We're into money. We're into influence, um, pleasure. And those are the things that are, are promoted. Those are the things we, we seek after. If, if you, know, you kind of look at TV or look at the news or look at a, you know, any kind of channel, it's like somebody's either there's a struggle over power struggle over influence. I mean, that becomes a term for people on the social media or influencers because they just want people to follow them. And, and your kids who don't want to work because they just want to be big on social media and they figure out they're going to make money somehow doing nothing, somehow that's going to work. Um, and pleasure. It's like these are the things that we seek after, but nowhere in there is there, is there real love. And so it's like we're in a culture that doesn't teach us how to generate and how to do that. But fortunately, when we follow Christ, he's the one that teaches us how to do that. He's the one that gives us the ability to fulfill these things that are in this passage. We can't do this on our own because it's just trying to be an American by reading the Declaration of Independence. It's like it's trying to be a good American just by, you know, by understanding the, the dates that I've, that I've talked about. Like, that's not what does it. It's like, well, if you are an American, it's good to know these things. The first thing you have to do is actually come to Christ and accept his gift of salvation. So you could, you could work through everything in here and try to obey, but if you haven't met Christ as Savior, and that's the first step, this is just going to be a work in futility. The thing I'd like to, to say on this, you know, this day of freedom, this Independence Day, is that the most important thing you need to do is free your soul. Free your soul from the power of sin. Free your soul from the penalty of sin that's waiting for us at the end. And free yourself from this nation's culture and this, this fixations on power and influence and money and pleasure. And, and turn, turn your eyes and turn your mind and turn your heart toward, towards Christ. The, when, I was a, um, when I was a little boy growing up in New York City, there's a song I think is appropriate for this because it was about liberty and Jesus. And in that song they say, this is a land that's filled with plenty. And people strive for the good life, working hard for freedom from hate and freedom from want, freedom from stress and strife. But if they want real peace and contentment, you know what the people need to know? This country needs is Jesus Christ. He offers that freedom for the soul. So if you've been coming to church and you've been hearing messages, but you've never actually taken that step, and that step of salvation, it's like you're not even haven't joined the kingdom of heaven, haven't joined God's family. I mean, this passage is written to people who are already in God's family and say, hey, this is a better way for us to get along and live a life together. Because we've got all sorts of histories, all sorts of backstories. Jesus brought us all together to be one family from every tribe and every tongue and country and nation. But if you're not even part of that, well, this passage isn't for you yet. So before you leave here, I want to make sure that we get that part right. You need to free, free your soul. Accept Christ's gift of salvation. And before we leave, I mean, if you'd like to, to talk or come, we, you know, we've got our, our brother who celebrated a milestone birthday. He loves, loves, loves talking to people about Jesus. And if you'd just like to have a one-on-one conversation with him, I'm sure he, w- he would like to talk to you. We've got our brother from Milwaukee 
I mean, you go to the doctor, if you sit next to my brother from Milwaukee, you may meet the great physician. This brother loves, loves, loves talking about Jesus. So we have people here who would love to talk to you this morning and help you better understand the Savior that we love and serve. Because that's the first step. The first step is to join his family. The first step is to become a member of the kingdom of heaven. We're going through this life together, but the first step is, is to join his family and meet the Savior, Jesus Christ. So on this Independence Day, I'd like to offer you that freedom from the power of sin. And freedom from the penalty of sin. This can be the day that you're independent from sin. If you can turn your heart and turn your mind to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let this be your Independence Day. Can we pray? Our Father God, we just come before you and we thank you so much for this nation, this free nation where we can live and worship freely, but we understand that freedom costs somebody. If it's in this world, it costs all those who fought in the Revolutionary War and all the wars since then. It costs them life and limb. And even today, those who fight for freedom. But for our freedom, for the gift of salvation, it costs Christ his life on earth. But praise God, he had the power to lay it down, but he said he also had the power to pick it up again. And he rose triumphantly offering us an opportunity of a salvation. But for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, don't let them leave this place without having a conversation, without getting to understand the loving God and Savior we serve, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.